ahead and open up your Bibles. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Now we covered chapter 6 two weeks ago. But there's a verse that we're hitting on, camping out on, and spending the rest of our time on this morning. Joshua chapter 6. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Someone pray for us, please. Jack, you got it? I mean, you're hesitant. I mean, Haley was like, I'll pray. But Jack's like... (laughs) Go ahead, Jack. Jack, go ahead and pray. So, in review a little bit, um, I want you guys to share with me, what have been some of the biggest things so far that has hit you since we started the book of Joshua? Just thinking back over the messages that we've gone through, what things have made the most impact, and how has it changed you? Yeah, yeah, that's good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I love that one. That's such a great, great character studies Rahab. Anybody else? <coughs> Come on, let's get a couple more. I'll get two more. I had a hard time last week too, Stephen. Yeah. Not raising her hand. Yeah, it's okay. It's just they don't like you. Man, I know. But still. <laughs> All right, two more people to share what you've learned. What's been some of the things you think about over the book of Joshua so far? Recognizing who's in charge, not jumping ahead. Yep. <clears throat> Alright, what else? One more. Yep. Um, I thought it was really cool when I think it was you showed the picture of the walls. Yeah. And when they fell down, they actually kind of made a ramp like up into the city. Yeah. Kind of made that too. It's really fun when God Yeah, yeah. It's a whole lot easier to do things with God than without Him. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, awesome. Okay, so last week we talked about Jericho, and we spent a lot of time talking about that. And frankly, I wanted to spend more time talking about that. But there was one verse in there that I called out specifically. Anybody remember what verse that was that I said we were going to spend a little bit more time on two weeks ago when we talked about it? Remember what verse that was? 18. Go ahead and read it. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when you take up the accursed thing. Okay, so keep yourselves from the accursed thing. And that's why the title of our lesson is Beware of the Accursed Thing. Now, this is something that God specifically called out. And and when you look back over the nation of Israel's history, this is something really, really important. They have had a track record of what so far? 
well, so far, this generation. Oh, success. Success, right? right? Now, their parents in the previous generation, yes, it was failure, 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 fa- failure, failure. I'm trying to say that one like four failure, times back. Yeah, I know you can't, see? All right. I know, now that's all you're thinking about. All right, so anyway. So the parents, yes, that previous generation, they failed. They disobeyed God, and that led them into captivity, and then God led them out. They still disobeyed God. They wandered in the wilderness for how long? 40 years, number of testing in the Bible. And so then it leads them up to this point. This generation, man, they rocked it. They were doing things unbelievably well. They had success all over the place. They had momentum. They were getting things done. They were doing everything God asked them to do, like everything. And so success, 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 all the way through, major battle into the promised land. And they are victorious. They come out on top. I mean, talk about like, almost like eternal bliss. Like, you know those times, maybe, I guess for us, one of those times might be, you know, you come out of camp, you know? You come out of camp and that feeling that you have because you're like, man, I want want to walk with God. I've dealt with stuff in my life. I was finally honest with God. I was doing this, you know, that kind of feeling. Or that time where you've had the opportunity, maybe, to witness to one of your friends and they agree to come to church and you're like, oh, you're stoked because I'm like, I can't believe this is even happening. Or somebody that is a friend of yours that you led to the Lord, and it's just absolutely amazing. That feeling that you get of, man, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, like major, major success. That's where they're at. So they're at this peak of success, and God tells them one thing, beware of the accursed thing. Now, I think most of Israel would have been like, yeah, no problem. Like, that's easy. Why would we even touch the accursed thing? We've got a pattern of obedience. We're doing things that are right. We're, we're, we're obeying God. We've got all these victories and successes. And now you're at this point. See, God warns you at these times. And that's why when we're at camp and when your things are going well, and even in your own heart, when things are going well, when things are going very, very good and you're being obedient, it only takes one bad decision to ruin the whole thing. I know that from my life. Many of you know that from your own life so far. But it only takes one bad decision to lead to more bad decisions. And when you are on this high of success where things are going well, you know what you tend to do? You tend to get way overconfident. You get more prideful. I got this. I got this. See what God did? I got this. Okay. That is faulty thinking. Because just because God had your back and you had success and now you're at this point does not mean that you've got this because you never have this. That's important for you to understand. We're all still sinners. So even in your successes and even when things are going well, you still need God. This is very important for you guys to understand because there's many of us that get into the Bible when things are hard. We start praying to God when things are difficult and we're struggling. But the reality is, is that when things are going well, you should be as much in the word of God and in prayer as when things are going poorly. Because just because things are going well does not mean you don't need God. Because you need God to keep you intact. Like he brought you together miraculously, and now he's walking with you and you're walking with him, but now you need him to keep you there. Because the moment you get out on your own, what's gonna happen? That was a question, guys. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the moment you get on your own, what's going to happen? Yeah. It won't go well. And think about Peter when he was out walking on the water. 
The moment he took his eyes off of Christ, what happened? He began to sing. But then, what did he say? The shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord, save me. And God reached down his hand, reached his hand down, and he grabbed him and he pulled him up and he saved him. And then he walked with him all the way back to the boat. See, most of us, we're, we're walking with him. We're on the water. We see him and we're going. Our eyes get thrown off elsewhere and we get distracted. We sink. And then we just keep sinking. Rather than saying, Lord, save me. So we need to learn this lesson today. We need to stay away from the accursed thing. That thing that defiles your relationship with God. And if you haven't stayed away from it, and maybe you're in it right now, how do you deal with it? So we need to talk about that this morning. All right, so paragraph. So victory with two exclamation points. God gave his people an amazing victory over Jericho. Israel was totally and utterly obedient in every word of the Lord, every step of the way, and God gave them the victory. But then we see the first word of chapter seven. And look at chapter seven. We're gonna get back to chapter six. Look at chapter seven. Look at the first word. What is that first word? But, not your booty, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So in the midst of victory, when their guard was down, sin crept in, defiled the whole nation, and resulted in casualties. And we'll talk about that. This trespass needed to be dealt with or else they would never be victorious again in the mission God gave them. We must take heed to the lessons God is teaching us in these chapters if we are going to overcome our weaknesses and faults to truly glorify God. All right. So we know that Achan did this thing and he took of the accursed thing and it ended up destroying everything. Destroying everything. In fact, just as kind of a, a, a side note, what ends up happening, and we don't have time to hit all the details of this, but we'll see it. And I'll give it to you big picture. So that what they end up doing in chapter 7, and we'll read some of it together. They're out of, they come out of victory. They see the next city. They're confident. They're like, let's go. Let's take it. They don't even talk to God. They say, let's go and take that city, AI. It's a smaller city than Jericho. This will be a piece of cake. They go, and what happens? They get their rear ends slaughtered. In fact, it says very specifically that 36 men died as they fled from AI. And Israel was absolutely humiliated. So all their confidence is now completely gone. This pattern of obedience that led them to the point where they're like, man, we can take this. We can do this is now completely and totally gone. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there in times where I've had great successes. And all of a sudden I make one mistake and then I feel like I can't do anything and I can't walk with God. And it's going to be impossible for me to, to do good again. How can I get back on, back on my feet and do this again? I've been there. And that's exactly what happens with these guys. And then Joshua ends up talking with God about it. And then God reveals to him, hey, buddy, there's sin in the camp. So let's talk about what this sin is. What is the accursed thing? Let's take a look at this. Let's divvy this up. So Joshua 6, someone read verses 18 and 19. Okay, you got that one. And then, and then we're going we're gonna to all read these together, but I want someone to read them out loud. And then chapter 7 and verse 1. Who wants that one, Noah? You can take 7, verse 11. 721, got that one. And then we're going to do Exodus 2017. Who wants that one? Exodus 2017. Timmy. And then Romans 7 7. Okay. Romans 13 9. Colossians 3 5. Andy. Ephesians 5 5. 
into Caitlin. You got that one. All right, so we're all going to read these verses together because I want you guys to see what this is. This is defining what the accursed thing is. So everyone look at Joshua 6, 18 and 19. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the second up when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and troubled. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are constant consecrated unto the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Okay, so what do you find out about the accursed thing from that verse so far? Do not take it, or else what will happen? Okay, cursed, and the whole camp will be cursed, and there's a T word there, trouble. You're going to have trouble. So you're going to have a curse and a trouble, and it's going to affect the whole camp. Okay? All right, and then it says in verse 19, but all the silver, gold, vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. We'll come back to that in a little bit. All right, so there's that one. Take a look at chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zarah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children. Okay, so what do we learn there? Okay, so Achan did it. And then God got ticked. All right, this is simple. All right, we're just reading verses. We're making simple observations. All right, next verse, verse 11. Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken up their cursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Okay, now there's more. All right, so what do we learn from this one? They sinned. They broke God's covenant. They took the accursed thing. Yeah, they took it. They put it in their own stuff, but it says very specifically, look at the word. They have stolen. So did it belong to them? No, but wait a second. Hold on a second. They took the city of Jericho. God gave them the city, right? So they stole something, but wasn't it theirs? Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then dissembled. What does that mean? You want to know what that definition is? That's not a word we use that often. Dissembled. <coughs> I want to take a guess. Break apart. Okay, to hide. Yes, because the Bible defines itself. They dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. So the Bible defines itself. Just look within the context, and you're able to see what it is. But to dissemble means to conceal under a false appearance, or it's disguised. So not only did he take it, he stole it, but then he hid it and he disguised it. So he tried to completely cover it up. Okay? So you're starting to get the picture of what Achan did. Now look at verse 21. All right, so Haley, what do you find out from that one? Okay, so he hid it in the earth, and what did he hide? Money and gold and, which is money? Yes, a garment, a Babylonish garment. So he saw it, and what did he do? What did he say specifically? I coveted them and took them, okay? So give me this picture. Somebody explain to me, just from those verses, what did Achan do? Step by step, what did he do? Noah. 
walks into bat or walks into Jericho. He sees this Babylonian coat and some money. He's like, I want that. Yep. So he took that. And then hid it because he realized he messed up. But it was too late now because they moved on from Jericho. Yes. And so then he just tried to play it off like nothing happened, and then a bunch of people died. Okay. Yeah, bunch of people died. <laughs> How many of you have done anything like this? God said, see that? Stay away from that. And then as you're kind of going along, you're like, hmm, I want that. And then you take it, whatever it is, or you do this, or you do that, and then you play it off like it's no big deal. When deep down, you actually know it's a really big deal. Because here's the reason why it was a really big deal. So what did he take? A coat and money. Okay, coat and money. But it was gold. It says a wedge of gold, 50 shekels weight, and he had this garment. Go back to chapter 6. I want you to see this for a second. Verse 19. So God says, don't take of the accursed thing. Bless you if you take of it and make the camp an Israel curse and you trouble it. But all of the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So there's two things here. He took two things. He took one was the, the, the garment. <laughs> the garment. And then he took the gold. Where was the gold supposed to be? The treasury of the Lord. But what about the garment? God said he didn't want the garment. But what about the garment? Why was that a curse? Well, did he? Why was it bad? It's from Babylon. Okay, if you study Babylon anywhere in the scriptures, what do you find out about Babylon? Just nutshell, like high-level stuff. What do you find out about Babylon? It's a no bueno place. No bueno. No bueno, yes. Okay, who is the ruler of Babylon in Revelation? The devil. The Antichrist, right? Like the antithesis of God, okay? So you know just that alone, Babylon is bad. Like very, very bad, all right? As Noah said, no bueno, okay? So Babylon, bad, all right? Should be Babylon. That's dumb. Sorry, that was a dad joke. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's Sunday morning, right? Okay, but the gold belonged to the Lord. Now, this is something that, that we'll start to see when you get into the book of Joshua, but every city that Israel took, every single city, every single one of them, they belonged to God, right? Okay, but God gave them every city. But Jericho was different. The spoils of Jericho were different. God said very specifically about those, the silver, the gold, vessels of brass and iron, they're consecrated unto the Lord. See, Jericho was the first of the cities that they conquered. When you study out God's law and God's pattern, the first fruits belong to the Lord. The first fruits. Anytime you had a harvest, the first things that came out of the ground, they were offered unto the Lord. The firstborn of the household, it was offered unto the Lord. But then God said, but if you want to redeem it, redeem it with, you know, a sheep, right? And that's what you're, that's the, that's the Levitical law straight out of Exodus. So the first fruits always belong to the Lord. So Jericho was something very special. God fought that battle. God fought it and they miraculously won. And all of the gold, silvers, vessels of brass, iron, all of it, it belonged to the Lord. So who did Achan steal from? From God. He did not give God what God deserved. Rather than being thankful and grateful unto the Lord for the salvation that they have occurred, right? 
He coveted something that belonged to the Lord and he took it. So he stole glory away from God. We do this constantly in our life. God bought you with his own blood, correct? But how much of your life have you given back to God? As an offering of praise and thankfulness for what he has done for you. Because did he not conquer your Jericho? Did he not obliterate the enemy that was behind the double walls? Did he not just open that thing up for you and let you go in freely and gain this victory into the promised land? Yeah, he did. And oftentimes in our life, the reflection of our life is not about him, it's about us. You can't walk with God and covet and take things that belong to God. You will be cursed. And many of you are living cursed Christian lives because you've not given it to the Lord. You've not given what God deserves to him. You've taken it for yourself and you're using it for yourself for your own purposes. And that is wrong. And the reason why success can't happen, it's not that it won't, because it certainly can, but it can't as long as you are taking of the accursed thing. The things that belong to God and you take it for your own and use it for your own ends, for your own honor, for your own glory. Now, I don't know what that means for you personally. Like, I don't know what all that means as far as like maybe the time that you spend or the things that you do or the stuff you're involved in, whether it's music, athletics, academics, whatever. I don't know what that is for each of you, but I know my tendency and my tendency is this life is mine. These moments of my life, they are mine and I take them freely when in actuality they belong to the Lord because he bought me with a price. He bought me, my life, my body, everything. Everything I have belongs to him. Everything, everything, every aspect of my mind, every aspect of my time, everything belongs to him. And I am so selfish at times spending me on me rather than spending me on the Lord and offering my life as an offering to him. And that's what we learned from Achan because let's look at these other verses. Let's look at Exodus 20:17. Everyone turn to Exodus. Exodus 20:17. All right, go ahead and read it. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Okay, so he says very simply, thou shalt not covet. What did they can do? He coveted. Go over to Romans 7. Romans 7. Romans 7. So God's law specifically says, thou shalt not covet. Romans 7, verse 7. Okay, whoever's got it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law... 
Oh, okay, hold on a second. Look at that verse again. So God defines what covetousness is. What is it? Lust. lust. So he says, Okay, I not know my law, for I not known lust, except the law has said, Thou shalt not covet. So right there, lust and coveting are interchangeable. So when you lust after something, what does that mean? You want it. It's something that you look at and you desire for yourself, something that you currently do not have, and you lust after and you want it for yourself. So that is really coveting. All right? So it doesn't matter if it's a person or if it's a thing. We find out very specifically what lust is and what coveting is. Now let's take a look at the next verse, Romans 13, 9. Romans 13, verse 9. Okay, read it. Whoever had it. Anybody have that one? All right, someone take it. 13.9. No, go ahead. Never mind. <laughs> For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false, bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, so there's a few commandments that are out of Exodus that are listed, but then it says it's all summed up by one thing, and what is it? Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So when you covet, when you lust, who are you loving? Self, not the other person. Okay, so we're learning a lot about this so far. Now let's take a look at the next couple verses. Colossians 3.5. There's a reason why we're looking at all these verses, because God ties all these together and makes a big deal out of them. Colossians. I'm there when you're ready, Stephen. <laughs> okay, Andy. Thanks for appearing to be an overachiever. <laughs> All right, Colossians 3 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, inconsistence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, whoa, hold on. How else does God define covetousness? Idolatry. What? Have you ever thought about that for a second? Idolatry. Idolatry. Whenever you think of idolatry, what do you think of? Buddha. <laughs> Buddha. 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 I think. <laughs> what else do you think of? Statues. You think of Mary. You think of you know all that stuff, right? What else do you think of when you think of idolatry? Say what now? Okay, the golden calf. Yep, absolutely. So you think of a physical object. <gasps> That people are ascribing worship to whatever they might attribute, say, this is my God or whatever, and this is the cause of all things. Okay, so God correlates. I want you to see this. There is covetousness, which is equated to lust, lust, lust. which is also equated to idolatry. idolatry. Okay, so those are your three blanks here. Lust, covetousness, idolatry. And then we're going to see Ephesians 5, 5 here in a second. Lust, covetousness, and idolatry in that order. So lust, a longing desire, an eagerness to possess or enjoy, a carnal appetite, an unlawful desire. So something that you desire to have, but that you shouldn't be having. Covetousness, to desire inordinately. You're almost like obsessed over it. It's something that you just won't quit. Like you want to just, you, you want it. And there's nothing in the world that's going to try to stop you from having it. To, to desire that which is unlawful or obtain or possess. And then lastly, idolatry. It is the worship of idols, images, or anything made by hands which is not God. But then look at de definition number two. 
excessive attachment or veneration for anything or that which borders on adoration. Okay, now that opens it up a little bit more than just statues, right? Excessive attachment or veneration. What does it mean to venerate something? Anyone have a Catholic background other than Andy? (laughs) 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 To venerate. Andy, what's what's a good definition of venerate? Really, just call it down for them. Really, really, really want. Okay. Or even like when it comes to like if they they have a venerate like they venerate Mary, or they venerate saints. Just to go after, to seek after, to to worship. Yeah. To think highly of. Yeah, Mary is above Jesus in the Catholic Church. Yeah. So it's basically you put it up here, like as far as your priority list. When you venerate something, it is up here. It is something lifted up that people end up worshiping and adoring. Okay. Now, let's bring this down. Something very simple for you guys to understand. Priorities. The priorities of your life. What do you venerate? What do you highly prioritize in your life? What takes the most time, the most energy, the most money, the most attention? Those are the things that you venerate. Those are the things that you are excessively attached to. Something that borders on adoration. And if you're having a struggle trying to figure out what that might be, just think about if something that you spend a lot of time and that you love to do was taken away from you, how would that change your life? And that's how much time and energy you're putting into it. Now, here's why I'm bringing that up. Because when it comes to the Lord in your life, if the Lord can be taken out of your life and it really makes no impact, do you think you actually worship and adore him and venerate him in your life? No. So if you remove God from your life, what would your life look like? Would it be any different? Or would you just be the same person? Or if you were to remove this sport or this hobby or this ability that you have, and you were to remove that, how would that change your life? And which one is dramatically more affected? God being removed or that other thing being removed? Now, I am not telling you that you're wrong on whatever that thing is. I'm giving you a comparison. Because if God is something in your life that is a high priority, when he is removed, that should affect way more than this other stuff. And so I'm simply just asking the question, and I'm letting God do his work in you with this whole thing. Because this whole issue of the accursed thing varies from person to person. It's not something that God can clearly define of saying, okay, it's a one, two, three, save from these three things. No. It's covetousness. It's lust. It's idolatry. So it varies from person to person. Now, back in Joshua, it's clearly defined. But for you, it's not. It's whatever you struggle with. It's whatever you're working through. Now, I want you to see Ephesians 5.5. 5. Go back a couple books to the book of Ephesians, and I want you to see chapter 5 and verse 5. Because once I connected all these verses, and then I capped it off with this verse here, it made a serious impact in my life. And it's something that I still don't do perfectly, but it's something that has put a lot of fear, good godly fear inside of me. Ephesians 5.5. Who's got it?
For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Okay. Did you get that? For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor, there it is, covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What does that mean? Yeah. Okay. But does it mean that? Because can you lose your salvation? I mean, are all of us covetous? Yeah, we are. And there are certain things in our life that we can tend to let rule, rule and reign that we shouldn't. So does that mean you lose your salvation? No. Okay. Not getting any crowns. Not getting any crowns. It's because there's two kingdoms here. The kingdom of Christ. Now, hold on. The kingdom of Christ in the Bible is a little bit different. There's the kingdom of God. When you're born again and you are a brand new creature, you become a son of God. When that happens, you're in the kingdom of God. When that Holy Spirit moves in after you accept Christ as your Savior, you're born again, you're in the kingdom of God. There's nothing, there's nothing that you can do to lose that, right? Okay. But the kingdom of Christ, that's different. What is the kingdom of Christ? What does that mean in the Bible? Anybody know? Think about it logically. Is it like kind of I'm referring to the church? I mean, yeah, the church is a part of it because this is the book to the church. This kind of reveals the, the church for sure. So, yeah, it is part of it. Is it the kingdom set up after all the events of Revelation? Yes. So after the seven-year tribulation, you have a thousand-year period where Jesus Christ rules and reigns on the earth. That is called the kingdom of Christ. It's the millennial reign. There is a specific task God wants you to accomplish during that time. Because you're all going to be here if you're born again, right? If you're born again, you're in the church, and you're going to be raptured out before the tribulation. And the Bible talks about that after the tribulation, you're going to be coming back with him as he conquers the entire earth. He sets up his kingdom from Jerusalem, and he rules and reigns the entire planet and the entire universe from Jerusalem. During that time, you're just not going to sit there on your duff and be like, hmm. <laughs> all right, that's one year. Got 999 to go. <laughs> no, that's, like, that's, not, that's not how it's going to work. What do you think he's going to have you do? Work. Work, right? He's going to have you do stuff. I don't know what he's going to have you exactly do, but he's going to be having you do things. Now, what you do here in this life determines what you're going to be responsible for in the next. Well, I hope it's security. <laughs> I can see Andy. Working the gates. <laughs> there you go. Heimdall. Heimdall. Yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. And you'll probably be scrubbing dishes. That's probably what they'll be doing. Okay. All right. All right. So there is a task that he desires for you to do. But what you do in this life could compromise all of that. So even if you're born again and you're saved and you're in the church and everything's fine, and you're going to be with God for all eternity, but you're a whoremonger. You're an idolater. You're covetous. You're lust. You just live however you want according to your feelings and do whatever you want and you live like the rest of the world. You are forfeiting the job and the role and the responsibilities that God has for you in the future in the kingdom of Christ. And I'm telling you, if that's you, you're going to come to that day and you're going to think to yourself, I'm such an idiot. You mean that I exchanged that of what I could be doing for what I did there? 
So there's stuff on the line. Like a lot of people think, oh yeah, I'm Christian, I'm saved, and I'm, everything's good, and, I'm, and it is, it is. But you could have so much more. Like there is an inheritance that he has for you. There are things that he desires for you to do, things for you to possess, things for you to be responsible for. And you could just end up just like, you know, what's his name? The, um, uh, the son that, that basically he got all his inheritance first and then he squandered the whole thing. Prodigal son. He squandered the whole thing and then he came back and he was still accepted. But his inheritance is gone. It's now gone because he took it and he wasted it and he did whatever he wanted to. Now this puts fear inside of me and it makes me think twice about sin in my life. And it makes me actually grieve a lot more about sin in my life. Because I realized, God, I could have just forfeited something that you really wanted me to do because I wasn't being obedient. Because if God's in charge, who do you think he's going to make responsible for things in his kingdom? People that he can trust. And he's already given you everything. And then there's more that he wants to give you in this inheritance and this role and this responsibility he wants you to play. But then he's watching how you're handling your current inheritance. This current down payment that he's given you of the Holy Spirit that he's given you, he's watching you, and he's evaluating how much can I trust you with there. That's why in the parable of the talents, he gave five to one, two to another, and one to another. It's going to be the same thing for us. For those of us, I would hope that God could trust me with five. But I'd be happy if he just trust me with two. But I'd be embarrassed if he trusted me with just one, and especially if none. So what can God trust you with? This is why I wanted to spend some extra time up front talking about this accursed thing. Because they're in this, this position where they are victorious. And just picture that like your salvation. They are absolutely victorious. And God has given them everything. But he said, but make sure that you're wise about it. And that you do the things that I say. And then many of us just live the way we want to live. And then we squander it. And then everything is cursed. Everything is cursed. Because we find out that it absolutely defiles everything so let's just go through these last two points we don't have time to hit all these we go back to joshua chapter 7 and i want to hit this at a high level and i want you to just skim through this and when you have some time just read this chapter maybe you have some time this afternoon read this chapter and work through this because you can see how this absolutely affects everything joshua chapter 7 So it defiles everything. We already read verse 1 of chapter 7, that he took of the accursed thing, and the Lord's anger was kindled against the children of Israel. He took of it. But where did his anger go? Everyone. Everyone. And so the first point there is it defiles everything. The second point there is that it stops the Great Commission. So their Great Commission was the Promised Land. Your Great Commission is what? Yes, so go to all nations, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples, see people baptized, see lives changed. That is your great commission. Well, if you take of the accursed thing, you think you're going to be doing the work of the Lord? (laughs) No, no. You and I will not do the work of the Lord if you take of the accursed thing. And chances are, if you're not doing the work of the Lord now, it's because you have taken of the accursed thing and you're doing it daily. Because you're not going to want to do God's work if you're busy doing your own work. If you're busy pleasing yourself, you're going to have no concern about pleasing God. So it stops the Great Commission. And then, thirdly, it leads to death in us. Because sin always leads to death. It leads to death in us. In verses 24 through 26, 
I'm just going to read these ones because it actually hits the next several ones. Look at verse 20, 24. So they found him and he was ratted out because God ratted him out. And now here's the consequences. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achim, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, which should have been God's, by the way. But now that he took it, it's now cursed and God doesn't want it. That's a good point. Just to just remember that. Okay. So they take the silver, the garment, the gold, and look at this. His what? Sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. So it led to death in us. It leads to death in our family. That's our next point. And it leads to death in others. See, I think that we are way too, we have a way too much of a, um, a light attitude towards sin and the ramifications of sin. I think in our life, and especially in our culture, we sin and we excuse it away because it's like, ah, everyone's doing it, or it's really not that bad. When in reality, you don't have, you don't have any idea that under the surface, it's creating death in you. It's creating death in other people. It's creating death in your family. And it's one of those things that you don't really see right now, but as you sow those seeds of sinful wickedness, it robs you of opportunities to share the gospel with people. It robs you of of things, of blessings that God wants to do in your heart and in your life. It robs you from being a blessing to other people. It blows your testimony, and then people that would be your close family and friends don't even want to hear the gospel because you're not even living like the gospel. And then they end up dying and going to hell because you just wanted to fulfill the lusts of your flesh while you were here. This is heavy. This is Achan. There's a reason why God put this in here. And he put it in here in this fashion for us to take note of it. It's the accursed thing. It's the thing that we should be staying away from. So how do we deal with this? How do you deal with the accursed thing? Well, there's three things that we need to do. The first one, very simple. Stay far away from it and obey the first time. Right? What did Joshua 6.18 said? What did, what did God say there in that verse? Don't take of the accursed thing, right? So when God says something at the very beginning, obey. Don't be like most of us who are idiots and knuckleheads and end up just going and learning from experience. Oh, hey, guess what I found out? God was right. <laughs> I mean, there's so much. Like the reason why God painstakingly put this book together with the people and the circumstances and the things that he's, the wisdom that he shares with you. The reason why he put this together is because it's not to condemn you or to restrict you. Are you kidding? It's meant to bless you. It's meant to be a blessing to you because it will keep you away from the things that will defile you if you would just obey it the first time. But for a lot of us, we're like, oh, that's nice. Walk away. Or we don't even open God's word. We live our life. And then we're like, my life is a mess. What happened? Okay. Here. Oh, here. Oh, yeah. This. 
Because once you start down the path of sinning and taking of the accursed thing, guess what it gets easier and easier and easier to do? Keep taking of the accursed thing. And that's why many Christians are just flat out miserable because they keep taking the accursed thing and their life is a constant curse. And they're like, you know what? Forget it. When God's like, no, just don't take of the accursed thing. That thing that you keep desiring over me, stop. Desire me first and I'll set everything else in order. That's what God's talking about. So that's the first thing. Stay far away from it and obey the first time. Secondly, talk to the Lord and obey whatever he says. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 15, you know what Joshua did? They had the battle of Ai. Men died. They lost all their confidence. And what did Joshua do? Oh, God. And he was on his face and he was weeping. He's crying. He's like, that's it. We can't do this. You, you're, you're, I mean, we can't take this land. And, he's, and you know what God said? Get up. But if Joshua wouldn't have gone before God and started weeping, then God would have never showed up and said, get up. Get up. We have sin to deal with. And then Joshua gets up. God reveals, here's the problem. And Joshua's like, okay, I'll deal with it. And how do you think Joshua felt? He grew up with Achan. He probably saw Achan when he was born. Remember, Joshua was one of the two people from the previous generation. So he saw Achan rise up as a child and become a young man, learn responsibility, get married, have kids, learn to be a warrior, probably fought alongside of him. And now he has to kill him? Do you think that was easy for Joshua to do? No. And I bet you there are other people in that tribe of Judah, which is where he grew up, hated taking those stones and throwing them on him and his kids and everything that he had and then burning them with fire. This is serious business. When God tells you to deal with sin, deal with sin. And yeah, you might be brokenhearted over it. You might shed some tears over it. But what's better, living a cursed life or obeying God? That's the choices that you guys are left with. And that leads us to our third point, and that is to confront it and utterly destroy it. Whether you like it or not, and chances are, in most cases, you won't like it because it's your accursed thing. It's the thing that you love. It's the thing that that you find great value in. But when God says, go after it and destroy that desire, destroy that thing, are you actually going to do it? And you can't destroy it like 90% or 99% because that's not how sin works. Sin is like bacteria. You leave one little piece left behind and what's going to happen just in a matter of time? It's going to spread and it's going to take over again. When you got mold in a bag of bread, what's going to happen? It's going to spread and it's only a matter of time before the entire thing is affected. So it's better to confront it and destroy it completely and utterly. And so that's what you guys need to really spend some time thinking about. I wish we had more time to go through the nooks and crannies of this chapter, but we've covered enough that once you read through this, you're going to totally get exactly what I'm talking about. And I want you guys to think about this because I think there are many of us that there are things in our life that frankly, it makes our Christian life a curse. And there are things that you are readily just giving up to this world that you could be having in your future inheritance. There's things that you're doing and that you're desiring and that you're a part of that are taking things that actually belong to God. And always remember, 
God should get your first and God should always get your best. And that's in everything that you do. And like I've said before, I'm not saying that you guys should quit some of the things that you do or your hobbies. Maybe you should, but I'm not saying that you should. But if you can take whatever that is, that thing that you desire, and you can offer it unto the Lord and you use it to serve God, I mean, he can be greatly glorified. He's given you guys gifts and abilities and talents that he's not given to other people. He's given you opportunities to do things in certain places that he hasn't given to other people. For some people, it means they need to quit those things because they don't have enough self-control to give it over to the Lord for God to be glorified. And I respect those decisions. And I've had to make some of those decisions in my life. But what God really wants you to do is take that thing, turn it around, and glorify God with it. Because later, when you study out the Valley of Achor, God actually says it's a place of blessing. Because it's the place where sin is dealt with, and then God is glorified. Because in the future, in the future millennial reign and everything, he actually blesses the Valley of Achor. And there's great fruitfulness there, if you were to study that phrase out. It's absolutely amazing. So whatever you got to do, you guys need to do it. But I think we've just spent too much time taking things that actually belong to God. And that's why some of your growth is stifled. And that's why you can't seemingly move forward in your relationship with God, because you keep taking of this accursed thing. So this is something to think about this week. So please think about this. Go through this chapter. This is such an amazing chapter. If you're having a hard time dealing with sin, go back and just read Joshua 6 and Joshua 7 again and talk to God while you're doing it. It really is that simple. Even though sometimes it feels like it's the most impossible thing to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. I pray, God, that we take these things to heart. These messages are are ones that are very difficult at times because it really is... um, It confronts us where we are, and it really makes us uneasy and unsettled because of the things that we really desire. But there are things that do belong to you, and I pray, God, that we would have that heart desire to obey you. And and this isn't just a message for the students here, but it's a message for for me and for all of our leaders as well, Uh, just to make sure that we're giving you our first and giving you our best. And uh, at times, we can just be lazy, and we can love ourselves more than you, and, and I'm sorry about that. And I pray, God, that you'd just change our heart change our mindset, change our perspective so that we can honor you. Uh, The devil can't uh, take away the salvation of anyone who's born again, but he can certainly take away our inheritance by throwing items of temptation out in front of us and defiling our Christian life. And that makes us utterly useless in the work. and, And it takes away things that you really desire to give to us in order to bless us in the future. So I pray that we would take these things to heart and that you'd help us to see these things as they actually are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, all boys, stick around for two seconds.